0: We are not rejected. We are accepted. We are not orphaned. We are adopted. We are not unseen. We are known. We are not fearful. We are courageous. We are not deficient. We are satisfied. We are not condemned. We are forgiven. We are not uncertain. We are secure. We are not perfect. We are victorious. We are not in bondage. We are redeemed. We are not aimless. We are purposed. We are made in His image. And that redefines everything. Well, good morning, church family. I'm Barrett, lead pastor here at Island Community Church, and I am so thankful that you have chosen to worship with us today. Um, If you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to get it open to the book of Genesis Chapter One. We're going to be beginning a new series this morning, and I am so excited about it. And I want to thank you personally for joining with us today on this live stream. Uh, We are a big family here at Island Community Church, and uh, we are scattered throughout our community literally right now. I know that we long to be back together physically, and we are hoping very soon to be able to announce that we will be able to return in some safe way. But for now, uh, we're worshiping together on live stream. And I just want to thank you for making the investment of time uh, to join with us today. We are launching this morning our new summer season. And this morning, I have the privilege to launch a new series that I am so excited about. A series called We Are... And I believe that this series has incredible potential to be transformative in your life. By God's Spirit and God's Word, I really believe that through this series, you may have an opportunity to come into deeper relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And I just want to pray this morning for us as we start our time together in God's Word, uh, just that God would speak to you by His Spirit today. Father, thank you so much uh, for your love for us. God, your love is everything. And God, I just want to pray for every person today, Lord, that you would speak to each and every one. You know us, you care about us, you love us. And what you've provided for us in your son, Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection is more than enough for us. Your grace is truly sufficient. And I pray, God, that today, in this time that we have in your word, Lord, that you would speak to the depth of our heart, and by your Holy Spirit, that you would be drawing us closer to you. God, help us to know who you are so that we might know who we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, uh, this morning, what I would like for you to do right here at the start of the message is to answer a question. And in fact, I'm gonna give you a few minutes to answer it. And the question is quite simple. It's this, who am I? All right, I want you right now with paper and pen open, uh, journal open, uh, to just take a few seconds and just answer that question, who am I? It's going to be awkward if you don't do it, because I'm just going to be standing here waiting. So go ahead, take some time. Who are you? Who am I? You still writing? Keep going. Make a list. All the things that come to mind. Who are you? Who am I? That's the question you're answering. Some of you are not participating, come on! All right, I think I've given you enough time. If not, you can keep writing. Uh, It's totally okay. Um, So what's your list look like? Uh, If you're like most people, if you're like me, Probably when you got to your list, there's some things that came up like this. Um, perhaps you put your age, or maybe you put down your gender. Maybe you put family members. I'm a husband, or I'm a dad. Um, maybe you listed your children. Maybe you talked about your occupation. What do you do for, for work? That's a common question. Who, who are you? You know, I start telling you what I do for work, or maybe you put down your your roles, different roles that you play in life or in other people's lives. Uh, Maybe you put down something about your personality, your Enneagram number, for instance, if you're into that right now. Or maybe you started to list potentially some of your possessions or you were kind of thinking about them. Uh, Maybe you described your neighborhood, where you live, what zip code you're in, uh, who you live around. Maybe you described your school. I'm a student at University of Memphis or Tennessee Health Science Center. Maybe you thought about your sexuality, maybe your hobbies or your economic class or potentially your politics. I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm an independent. I am fed up with politics, maybe that was on your list. Um, Social groups, accomplishments. I don't know how you answer the question but I know that this question, this question has been a central question to humans Really, from the very beginning. And there are a lot of people who have spent a lot of time, energy, heart, soul longing, even heart, soul ache. Um, they have been very invested, and potentially you have been very invested at seeking to answer this core question. It's what drives a lot of people to pursue the very things that they pursue to acquire the things that they acquire, to participate in the things that they participate in, to try to accomplish the things that they accomplish. Honestly, it's the whole reason that genealogical studies are so in right now is people are dying to try to figure out, maybe by looking at their genealogy, to have a better answer to the question, who am I? Who am I? And honestly, this has caused crisis and confusion and frustration uh, to many Over a long period of time. The reality is, the answer to this question forms your greatest sense of identity. And this summer, throughout this series, we are going to be exploring the topic of identity. Now, for you to understand identity, here's basically how you can define it identity is this it is how you see yourself. Now, if you go to Barnes & Noble, you'll see self-esteem section or self-image section. Essentially, we're talking about the same thing. Your identity, you can write it down, my identity is how I see myself. How I see myself. And the reality is that for most of us, if we look at that list of things that, that I just went through, if you look at your list, and you begin to... To to actually go through it and identify with these things, what you'll begin to realize is that many of these things, in fact, if not all of these things on your list, are probably not ultimate. They're not lasting. And pastorally, what I know and have seen again and again and again is that When one of these things on our list, if we build our identity in it, when when these things begin to destabilize, in other words, if your identity is built very much in your marriage, and your marriage begins to falter or fail, if your identity is built very much in your health, and then all of a sudden you get a diagnosis that says you might not live as long as what you thought, or you might not be as healthy as what you have thought. When you get to a point where you are laid off from work and all of your identity is built in your work and in your accomplishments and suddenly, even for some of us through this past season, we get that notice that we're no longer going to have a job. When our candidate doesn't win the election or when that best friend that we have really been so attached to and that relationship has just been everything for us suddenly moves away it's when the destabilization happens that we actually get to a point of what we call an identity crisis. Anybody ever heard this phrase, identity crisis? Some of us have been in identity crisis even in the last few months with the coronavirus. And that is really why I sensed that God was leading us to focus on this for this season. Because to be honest, One of the reasons that this season of the coronavirus has been so hard, I mean, yes, our heart is breaking because so many people are getting this disease and suffering with it in their health. But even those who have not contracted the disease are suffering in many other ways. And one of the reasons that this has been so hard is because many of these things that we have built our identity upon for so long, whether it's work, our family, our time with loved ones, our hobbies, our shopping, whatever else, these things have kind of been stripped away from us over this past season. And it has caused destabilization in our lives. And it has been really, really tough. And if we're honest, once we lose one or more of these things, we get to this point of identity crisis. And by identity crisis, what we're saying is when the thing we've invested our sense of self in comes to an end. And the reality is, if we invest our sense of self, our identity in these smaller, temporal, unstable things, and in, in fact what happens is we will become small. We become unstable people. Without these things, we, we lose our sense of self. We lose our sense of calling. We lose our, our sense of purpose and direction, and life feels meaningless, and life feels empty. And over and over and over, what I have experienced as as some of you even you know this because you've come pastorally it is my great privilege to welcome people to open my arms to represent the kind of the open arms of god and to welcome people in the middle of life crises but what i have seen again and again and what most counselors i believe would tell you again and again that they have seen is that when this destabilization happens this identity crisis happens we see effects And some of those effects can look like this. We end up in places of drastic decisions or deep discouragement, places of depression, places of substance abuse or of risky behavior, places of affairs or what we would describe as midlife crises. As Tim Keller says, inordinate love creates inordinate, uncontrollable anguish if anything goes wrong with the object of our greatest hopes. Inordinate love creates inordinate and uncontrollable anguish, if anything goes wrong with the object of our greatest hopes. That's why I feel so passionate as your pastor and excited To be able to open God's word and to have an honest conversation together throughout the summer about this topic of identity. Because I know that unless we're building our identity in the right place, then we set ourselves up for this kind of tragic moment of crisis. Because we will realize that we've been building identity on something that is not Not what God designed from the very beginning. So, through this series, week after week, we are going to be answering the question, we are blank, with what the Bible tells us our identity really is. And this morning, I am excited to be able to talk to you about really a foundational message of understanding our identity. Alright? So if you've got your Bibles, if you haven't already, I want you to get them open to the book of Genesis. Every single Sunday, by the way, as you're turning to the book of Genesis, I'm going to have a time of teaching here, but we're going to have a time of follow-up after the teaching time to have a conversation with people who are really going to help us try to figure out how to live this out. Ordinarily, that conversation will happen right after the 9 a.m. service on Instagram Live, but today that conversation is going to happen at the end of our worship time here on this live stream, so stay tuned for that right after the message. But Genesis chapter 1. I want to introduce you to a phrase that I think will be helpful in answering the question, who am I? And the phrase is Imago Dei. Can you say that with me? Imago Dei. Some of you might have heard this phrase before. It actually comes straight from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. The reality is, friends, that our core created identity is so much richer so much better, so much more glorious and more satisfying than any category that we could ever conceive of ourselves. It is so much better. God calls us to find ourselves not in an earthly category, but in him. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, here in the very beginning of God's word, I want to help you understand something that I believe as we unpack it this summer has the opportunity to transform so much about your day-to-day life and that is here at the beginning as God created all things we read that he created humans and what does he say here in verse 27 so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them What we read here is God created man, now I want you to underline this, in his own image. In his own image. When we talk about the Imago Dei, the Imago Dei literally means the image of God. It's an understanding that we are created in the image of God. Imago Dei, the image of God. In other words, we are created to be image bearers. So what this means is that when God created us, he created us to have an identity, to have a sense of self, a sense of being. But our sense of being was always designed to be attached to God. Our sense of identity was always meant to be found in him, in his image. He created us. Not categories, not Democrat, not Republican, not husband, not wife, not parent, not worker, not student, not son, not daughter, not straight, not gay, not uh, in success or in failure. I could go on and on and on of all the things that so often our world says, this is your primary identity. You live in this neighborhood. You're at this socioeconomic level. You drive this car. Look at that label on your jeans. That's who you are. Or whatever else. Any social club you ever join, country club that you're a member of, uh, money in your bank account, you could just go on and on. You, look at your list. But what God says at the very beginning, yes, we have an identity, but our identity is not primarily to be found in those things, any of them. Our identity that the original creation is to be found in God. Our identity is to be found in God. We are image bearers. So, a lot of us, if you think about self esteem, a lot of us spend a lot of time, whether it's literally or figuratively, looking in the mirror trying to find ourselves. We keep looking and looking and looking and looking and looking at self as if if we can go deeper into self somehow, we may can find a true and lasting. a permanent identity, a satisfying identity, something that will really, 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 really be everything that I've ever hoped to be. But the reality is, looking at self is not the place that we find identity. God created us to be mirrors reflecting God. We're to be finding identity by looking to Him first. And by looking to Him first, then we can look to ourselves. The only way we can really understand our truest self is by understanding that in truth we were created in relationship to look to Him. It's all about God. Jesus affirms this. Um, I was thinking about this. This past months as I've been preparing to teach uh, this series, uh, a passage that often gets just misinterpreted, misunderstood. We don't really know what to do with it, but it's from Matthew chapter 22. If you've got your Bible, you can hold your finger in Genesis because we're coming back, but you can flip over to Matthew chapter 22, verses 19 to 22. Because interestingly, um, what we see there in Matthew chapter 22 is there's this interesting story as Jesus is there um, engaging with people in the temple, and people are coming to ask him questions. Over and over, the religious people are trying to trick Jesus into getting him to say things or do things that would contradict the law and would get him in trouble with the government. Um, they were just kind of out to get him, They just gotcha moments, over and over. And there's one of these moments in Matthew 22 that's recorded, and it says this, Show me the coin for the tax. This was Jesus saying this. He says, Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought to him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Well, whose likeness... An inscription is this. So in other words, they're trying to get Jesus to answer what they should do. Should they owe money? Do they pay taxes to the government? And he, he, he says, show me a coin. Now imagine somebody saying, he, he's here and he says, give me a quarter, right? And he looks at the quarter and he goes, who's, whose likeness is on this? Now I can't tell you for crying out loud who's on our quarter, all right? Please don't hold that against me. But imagine uh, being in a place where the, the, the king of the country or the leader of the country, their image is on that coin. Such was true in Jesus' time. And he goes, whose likeness is on this? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. And then he said to them, well, therefore, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But render to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and they went away. Now, the primary point of this passage, I don't believe is about our relationship to governing authorities, although there's implication there. But I believe what is marvelous about what Jesus says here is he says, look at this coin. Do you see what's on the coin? There's an image here. And this image shows you who this coin is due. This is the highest authority. This is the one who you need to submit this coin to. This image shows you who it belongs to, so give it to him. But render to God the things that are God's. I imagine he looked up from the coin and looked straight at the people. He looked straight at the people that he was talking to. And what he's looking at as he looks at each and every person as I'm looking at you is the image of God. What he's saying is on this coin is the image of Caesar, but on you is God's image. And don't you forget it. You belong to him. Render to God the things that are God's. In other words, his image is all over you. So don't you know that you should be building your identity upon him? I love the passage, and I hope it helps you in some way. What he's saying is it's all connected back to him. He is our satisfaction. He is our sustainer. He is our sufficiency, and we are an image bearer of him. We have been created, created, friends. Your identity, your primary identity, was never meant to be attached to these worldly categories. It was always, at the very beginning, meant to be attached to your relationship, your intimate relationship and belonging to him. He is a loving, gracious God. He didn't want you from the beginning to be on an endless identity search. He always wanted you to know that you are his. He is yours. All that you could ever want and need in terms of your identity is found in relationship with him. This is God's design. Yes, we have an identity. Yes, we should ask the question, who am I? But it was always meant to drive us back to Him. Now, the question you gotta be asking, right? The question that I'm asking is as i as I'm struggling in my own life, and also I'm struggling as a pastor, I've, I've wanted to know so many times, Lord, how can where did things go so wrong in me and in our world and with those who I'm called to serve. Where does it all go so wrong? There's this beauty of original design and creation, but what we know is in our experience, for crying out loud, we are still very much frustrated and in search, trying to answer that question and coming up empty so often to answer that question Who am I? Where does it all go so wrong? Well, to find the answer to that question, go back to Genesis and look at chapter 3 just two chapters over, and I want us to look at verses 1 through 7. God's Word says this, now the serpent was more crafty than the other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, this is just not long after creation, when he said, look, you're made in my image, upon you is the imago Dei, the image of God, find all you need in me, and here comes onto the scene, the serpent, and he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God has said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, but the serpent said to the woman, Oh, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Where does it all go wrong? There's a simple answer to the question. The answer to the question can be found in the original narrative of Adam and Eve, the first humans who we are like in brokenness. The answer to the question is this, rejection. Where does it all go wrong? It goes wrong in this rejection of God-given identity. Rejection of God-given identity. The adversary came and tempted Adam and Eve in the same temptation we face today. Here's the temptation. Hey, you should be working to create an identity apart from God. This is the first identity crisis right here in Genesis 3. This is it. Your identity, your true identity really cannot be known unless you get out from under that oppressive relationship with God. Don't you know he's keeping something from you? You need to get out away from just that soul satisfaction and belonging to God and and pursue Pursue your identity. Your true identity cannot be known until you you, you get away from him. Then your eyes will be opened. And then you will become like God. But the reality is, God did make us with our eyes open when we were just with him. And made in his likeness and finding our identity in him and him alone. This is our true identity. And yet again and again, just like here in Genesis 3 at the beginning, we get lied to by the enemy, we get lied to in the world to tell us that that's not enough, that we've got to go and seek that and find satisfaction in that apart from God in order to be our true selves. We are told, instead of being a mirror to reflect God, that we need to go and stare in the mirror and look at self more and more and more. And maybe, maybe, just then, we'll discover who we really are. And Adam and Eve fell for it. Rather than simply believing God was enough, believing that they were already like him, that their identity was already secure in him, they instead sought to create their own sense of self apart from him. And the result, the Bible describes as sin. Looking away from God. Where does it all go wrong? Looking away from God for identity. This is, in essence, what sin is all about. Looking at God and going, God, you know, I know how you created me, but I believe there's something more for me apart from you. I believe there's something more that you're... with. That You've withheld from me, apart from you, so I've got to leave you. I've got to rebel against you. Even though your image is on me and I am owed to you, I belong to you, I need to submit to you, I'm going to rebel against that and go and search for identity apart from you. Looking away from God for identity is where all things go wrong. And we could also describe it as this, building an identity apart from him. Building our identity, our primary identity apart from him This is where it went wrong here in Genesis chapter 3. And this is where it goes wrong for us. Every time we desire to live outside of God and to find identity apart from him, it just leads us, friends, to more and more dissatisfaction, more frustration, more set up for an even greater crisis. Because the reality is, friends, there is nothing that this world can give, that you could build your identity upon, that could satisfy you and secure you like being in the perfect relationship with God himself. It was always meant to be just about God, your identity just attached to him, and that being enough. But the reality is for Adam and Eve, they turned away from that, and you and I have turned away from that too, and that is the answer to the question, where has it all gone wrong? There's serious consequence, but... I want to leave you with this. I'm coming to a close here. This morning, my desire is just to lay a foundation and to wet your appetite for what is to come because we're gonna be exploring this for the next several months together. But there's another another question that we want to to talk about. And the question is this, is there any hope? Is there any hope? and you've probably sensed the answer to the question because of the smile on my face, the, the resounding answer of the Bible is yes. Yes, yes, yes. There is hope. Even though God could have left us in the mess of what we chose, that he could have left Adam and Eve in the mess of what they chose to try to build identity apart from him, and all of the spiraling out of control that was the consequence of that. He could have left us in that. He could have left the world in that. He has chosen in His love for you and by His grace not to leave us in that. In His kindness and in His mercy, He comes to redeem all that has been lost and to teach us, to restore in us the image of God so that once again we might have the security and the satisfaction that comes and just our identity resting in him and him alone. The reality is this. Everything, Everything that the first Adam lost, Jesus, the second Adam, came to redeem. The Bible describes Jesus as a second Adam. Where everything went wrong with the first Adam and where everything goes wrong in us, Jesus came, God himself in flesh, to live for our righteousness, to die for our forgiveness, to be put in the grave in the death that we deserve to die, the consequence that we deserve by looking other, somewhere else other than God for our identity. And he rose again triumphantly from the grave after three days, and he lives today. He has all power, and he uses his power as the perfect second Adam to restore what has been lost and our own choice to turn away from God. Jesus Christ can restore. This is why he came, and it's all by his grace. Philippians chapter 2 says this in verses 6 through 8. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus comes to restore our identity. He comes in his love and by his grace and yes, by his work on our behalf to restore that which has been lost, to restore in us the very image of God. The perfect work of Jesus restores us to Imago Dei. The perfect work of Jesus can restore us to the Imago day. And this good news of Jesus both affirms and humbles us. The good news of the gospel it is wonderful news because for those of us who who have just felt this deep deep heartache wondering if we will ever be enough, wondering if we could ever be lovable, wondering if we could ever do enough, wondering, just, just searching, searching, searching for satisfaction. The good news of the gospel comes and speaks God's love, reminds us that we are loved by the eternal God. We are seen, we are cared for, we are loved, and He can satisfy our hearts. He has not forgotten us. He has not left us. He loves us and he moves toward us and his grace is available if you call out to him. And there is such affirmation knowing that we're not like monkeys. We're not like trees. We are a special creation of God made with incredible dignity by our very creation being formed in the image of God. He loves us and that is an incredible affirmation of the gospel. But the gospel also humbles us, doesn't it? Because the gospel also, in order to receive the love of God, the first condition is that we must acknowledge our waywardness and our need for mercy. We must, just like with Adam and Eve, recognize our nakedness, that we have turned from him, tried to build an identity apart from him, and that that is not what we should have done, and that is sin. And that sin brings brokenness, and that brokenness needs restoration. We must acknowledge that we are not God. The gospel forces us to recognize we are created in the image of God, but we are not the creator. We are dependent upon one who has created us, and we owe all to him. His inscription is on us like the coin, and we must be submitted to one who is higher than us. And the gospel humbles us in that way. And in that way, it is also good. So an affirmation and a humbling, both in the gospel but also by the perfect work of Jesus the opportunity to be restored little by little by little and one day his promise is fully in the end into the perfect image of God i love it second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says this therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away And behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In other words, it is possible. The question was, is there hope? And the answer is yes. And the answer is yes because Jesus has made it possible for us to be restored. And in fact, in the Bible's words, to be made new. Now, I want to reflect a bit on This practically. In the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about again and again and again the the paradox of finding identity in Christ. And the paradox is this, in order to become our truest selves, in order to really know ourselves, we must know him. In order to know your truest self, you got to turn to God. See, the reality is the beginning point of a search for identity. you got to answer this question. Where do you draw your primary identity? For you, today, where are you going to draw your primary identity? Every morning you wake up and that question starts, who am I? And what I'm asking you right now is, where on a daily basis do you draw your primary identity? Now, here's, the, here's what I want you to know. As Christians, we live from our identity, not for our identity. Yes, there are a million categories, and they're not bad. It's not bad for me to be a dad or a pastor. It's not bad for you to have a job or to be a son or a daughter or a friend. Or to have a hobby. Okay, I'm not saying those things are bad. But what I am saying is as Christians, we live from our identity in God. We're not living out in the world searching for an identity. We start from a place of security and satisfaction in our relationship with God. And then everything else comes from that. We're not out searching for identity. And it makes all the difference. I want to show you this. The best place oh, this is a quote I'll give you before. This was actually from Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias died this week. He's one of my heroes in the faith. He's an incredible man of God, an incredible apologist. I heard him speak live several times, and I just absolutely appreciate his ministry, and we're going to miss him so much. And if you've never heard of Ravi Zacharias, I'd encourage you to look him up on Amazon, buy some of his books. He's just an incredible defender of the faith. But one of the things he said recently at a passion conference was this, and it stuck with me, and I am so grateful for it. It is not who you are that defines you, but whose you are. This is the core concept of Imago Day. We're not out searching for who we are. So much of what drives us, I really believe, is a search to try to answer the question, who am I? But that question is not the most important question. It's whose we are. It's actually from our very creation discovering that we belong to God and our identity is meant to be rooted in him. The beginning point of identity is Jesus. The worst place to begin constructing identity is you. And if you go to bad counselors, typically in counseling, what I have to correct again and again, if you go to bad ones, and we have some great ones here in the church. You're going to hear from them in a second. Okay, so I'm not ratting against counselors, all right? Hear me say this. But if your counselor wants to start by just you diving, 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 diving all into you and never directs you to God, that's bad counseling. The worst place to begin constructing your identity is all based on you. The best place to begin constructing an identity is in Jesus Christ. Now, I understand you've got to explore things about you, but ultimately those things have got to lead you to Jesus because it's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. And on this series, in this next season, what we're going to be doing week after week after week is really going to the Bible and looking together at whose we are. What does he say about me? And as we fill in those blanks, we are blank. We're going to be using the blanks to discover what God says about who we are so that we can build our identity in him. The blank for today, if you haven't called it already, is this. We are made in God's image. We are made in God's image. And I'll leave you with this. As we transition to our time of response and prayer. God wants us to look to him for our self-definition and for our identity. God wants us to look to him. And today, I don't know exactly where you are as you're listening to this message, but I do know, I do know because of myself and also because of the search that we see in the scripture of every human since the fall. I do know that you are searching for the answer to that question. Who am I? On a daily basis, on a daily basis, you are trying to figure it out. And a lot of what you're pursuing, I really believe if you're honest, a lot of what you pursue in life, a lot of what you give yourself to, a lot of what you invest your time in and your money in and what you crave deep down is a search for that sense of your truest self. And I just want to tell you this morning that God wants you to look to him for your primary source of self-identity, for your primary source of self-esteem, for your primary identity in life. God wants you to look to him. Ultimately, it's not about who you are, but whose you are. And from the very beginning, you were created to belong to him. I can't wait to unpack more of it in the conversation we'll have in just a few moments uh, around uh, sofas here, talking with some friends uh, that will help us a little bit more and also in future weeks. But right now, I just want to invite you to respond. I really believe today that there are many of you who may have never, ever put your faith in God. You're searching. You're searching. You've been clinging on to different groups that help you feel secure in your sexuality or secure in your socioeconomic status or secure in your uh, friendships. Um, You've been looking to a lot of things to, to find security and satisfaction. You've been building your identity, if you're honest, around something that many times has let you down. And you keep going, or maybe looking to the next thing, or just trying it one more time, thinking that just next time, this next time, surely it will be different. But i got to tell you, if you're not building your primary identity in God, then whatever else you're building your identity in is going to let you down. There will be a crash, and there will be a burn, because it's temporary. It's not permanent. It's not meant to be your ultimate satisfaction. Not meant to be your ultimate purpose. You were created in the image of God to build, to understand your primary identity in Him. He and He alone was always meant to be enough for you. So today you have an opportunity. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is for you. I don't want to name it because I just want to leave it wide open to the Holy Spirit. I want you to just open yourself to, to the Holy Spirit and just say, God, would you convict me of things that I've been building my identity upon other than you? And God, today I want to turn away from those things and I want to come back to you. I acknowledge, I acknowledge my rejection of you. I acknowledge I'm building identity on something other than you and that's rebellion, that's sin. And that has consequence and there's nothing I can do. But God, I believe that you still love me. I believe that you're gracious toward me. I believe that you gave your one and only son, Jesus, to come and to live for my righteousness and to die for my forgiveness and to rise for new life that I might right now call upon you and be a new creation in Christ, no longer building upon something that can't satisfy or secure, but building my life upon you. God, I'm coming back to you. Your image is on me, just like with a coin given over to the one it belongs to, I'm now giving myself over to you. Today, you could do that. All of us can do that. So right now, I just want you to pray and respond to God. You can text ICC prayer to 97000 to connect to a prayer counselor live right now. All of us, as we respond in song, let's just go to God and say, God, would you help me to root my identity in you? Father, thank you. We pray, God, that you would work in this time. Speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to know how we were created, to know, Lord, what will only satisfy and secure us forever. Help us, Lord, to come back to our identity belonging with you and you alone and us tasting and knowing the sufficiency of your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.